Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I am still your host. Today, I'm flying solo, and with me, we have a special guest that uh, I had on JavaScript Jabber, and I thought his story was so awesome and intriguing that I wanted to have him on Views on View. This is uh, Drew Baker. How are you doing, Drew? Great, Steve. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to have you back on. And also, by the way, for those of you listening, I'd also like to introduce our studio audience. How are you doing? All right, everybody, thank you for coming. It's always nice to have an extra audience with us. So as a little backstory, we had Drew on JavaScript Jabber to talk about what he does and some of the stuff he does with JavaScript at his agency, Funkhaus, with the German spelling F-U-N-K-H-A-U-S, in Los Angeles. But before we get into that again, Drew, why don't you give us a little background on you, why you're famous or why you will be famous after people hear this, just your background in programming, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> All right, looking forward to that. I'm the technical director at Funkhouse. We're an LA-based creative digital agency. Do a lot of website design and development and branding and identity and full content program but as well. But what, what's interesting for uh, today's discussion is, yeah, all of the technical stuff that we do in-house with an engineering team, six people and myself. And we we're, we largely use Nuxt, so Vue and Nuxt for probably nine and a half out of 10 projects. So big into Vue. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So does that mean you do a half project in view and a half project in something else? Is that what you mean by nine and a half out of 10? <laughs> no, I, so, you know, no. Yeah. Okay. no, I just meant that <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes we've used like a PHP template or something for some sort of all the stuff that we've done way back in, in the day. Yeah, we've been around now for 10 or oh, maybe even longer now, 11 years. So we, we've got a pretty wide range of legacy sort of projects that we're supporting. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a roller coaster from, from that days until uh, we just won a, our first Webby. So we've kind of took us 11 years to get there. But we're uh, uh, going to New York next week to pick it up for a big uh, view, uh, Nux View project, actually, we did for Adidas. Cool. Oh, Webby. You said it cut out a little bit. I didn't hear. So Webby Award? Yeah, yeah. We won a Webby for a website we built for Adidas and Songs from Scratch Initiative. It's kind of like a a music school that they run uh, and they bring in established artists to work with up-and-coming artists. And so we built a website to sort of showcase all of the music and imagery and video and stuff that they built up about. So Songs from Scratch and we won a Webby for it. It's really, really exciting. 
Awesome. Yeah, we'll have to put a link to that in the show notes. So what's your clientele there in LA? Is it pretty much like media type uh, companies or do you have a specific clientele? Yeah. So when we started 11 years ago, it was myself, uh, my partner, one of my partners, David Funkhauser, who's the creative director, and then my third partner, Nicholas Dyes. And the, the kind of original setup was Nick would sell them and Dave would design them and I would build them. <laughs> and we, Dave and I had sort of worked at a company that had done a lot of website stuff for Hollywood-based uh, kind of entertainment clients. And so we really started, hit the ground running when we, when we started Funk House with a lot of those kinds of clients. And we've been lucky enough to kind of dominate that niche. And so we've got a lot of high design portfolio websites for entertainment industry. I mean, that's a big part of what we do. But we've diversified now a lot into other things. But I think our sweet spot is high design meets a specific business case. So we try and work with companies that are competing on design, but have a specific business case and need to, you know, use their website to, to achieve some objective. So a lot of business, B2B, business to business clients in that space. But, you know, boutique hotels would be one that fits that sort of criteria pretty well. Architecture firms, big talent agencies. And then funny enough, lately, a lot of other agencies like us that don't have the digital capability, but advertising or creative agencies. Oh, okay. So do uh, you do any like sports agencies, you know, that do like uh, your famous athletes or anything like that? Give you a little insight yeah. to get the Super Bowl tickets or something? <laughs> well, maybe not. I'm not sure if it's Super Bowl tickets. I, I have not tried to, you know, pull that favor yet. But <laughs> we have did the way we did do the website for ICM talent agency which is a giant like you know that's on the level of caa those big big dogs we built their website and that's uh that's in view actually it's a view website uh, running uh, as a single page app oh interesting okay we'll come back we'll come back to that here in a little bit don't let me forget so since nuxt hasn't been around for 11 years at least i don't think so what uh what tools were you using when you first started your agency yeah so when we started uh, we were a traditional WordPress template shop. You know, we were building PHP templates for WordPress. Um, uh, we did that for a, a long time and then ran into what I think everyone went through, which was trying to build higher end animation, you know, page transition animations and things like that. That's kind of what drove the need for us to adopt a more front end centric sort of approach. So we were building like PHP. And then the next one we went into was trying to figure out some way of merging a CMS like WordPress with view front end. And that was pretty early days. You know, headless CMSs wasn't even a word then. So we had built our own version of like a WordPress rendered view app. So, you know, WordPress would render one page with a giant JSON blob in the footer. And then we would scaff, we'd build out a view app on top of that sort of bare bones page. And so we were running view in a sort of weird, <laughs> in hindsight, a pretty weird and, and to be honest, not very performant approach to like a server-side rendered single-paged app, which makes no sense. So that was the early days and that clearly didn't work very well and was terrible for uh, SEO, learned some really hard lessons, kind of building some sites around that stack. And so then we went all in on a headless approach and have a headless CMS powering a Nuxt front end. So we sort of started doing that probably three years ago. So yeah, pretty early on in the Nuxt days, but that was a game changer for us. So when, you, when you're when you doing stuff inside of WordPress, I'm having memories of trying to do stuff in Drupal. Where was it like trying to load up a PH, whatever templating language WordPress use? I'm not, I'm not sure 
and then just loading view inside of that or loading JavaScript inside of that and getting the data passed in in that JSON blob? Or how exactly were you trying to do that? Yeah, okay. So WordPress templates are just PHP templates. So you you know have your homepage, which would just be index.php. And we would what we would do is we would have some open graph tags, some header information. Those would actually be rendered as HTML. And then we would just have the, the famous app div. <laughs> it was just one div with ID app. Mm-hmm. And then in the right. footer, we would have this giant JSON blob for all of the data required for that page that you had requested. And so, right. And, and then any JavaScript to like boot up for you. And so what would happen is you would, you know, from the, the like life cycle of a request, you would request this page. WordPress would generate like the header tags and everything that were accurate for that URL, the JSON that was required for that URL, and then view would just boot up from there. And so it was a single page app running for this one page. And then if you navigated around the app from that point on, you would sort of just, we'd had written some custom sort of stuff to like just pull the JSON blob from the next URL. And so it was like this server-side rendered thing on the initial load. And then from then on, it was all single page app, which is, you know, sort of how Nuxt actually works now. But we had this really weird WordPress sort of layer in the middle of building out these giant JSON blobs and trying to do that in a way that was efficient was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a it was a bad approach, but it was step one. <laughs> so your so your server side code would generate the JSON you needed for the page, and then pass that up to the browser, and then you'd load the JavaScript and do its thing. Yeah. So if you actually looked at the source code for some of those sites, and there's still some of them around, you would just see in the footer this huge JSON blob, and so that would basically we right. would just take that at page load and put that into the Vuex store, and there you go. So that, that was our way of passing data from the server to the front end. And then, you know, every other page request that you, if you clicked on a link inside that app, essentially the, the server was, would return just the JSON blob to you using just like a query string or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Set up. And so from then on, we were just kind of replacing the store entirely on every page route you went around. And it worked like it worked right. well from the user's point of view. It was great. You know, this view app and there was no page loads in between things and we could do all the animations we wanted to do and it it worked well. Where it became a real problem was SEO. And then the JSON payloads just became huge because you were, you know, if you had global elements that required a lot of data, it became kind of hard to manage. Like menus was a real problem because those are like global things you need on every page. So then every JSON blob had to have all the data for like the menu and like, you know, every sort of global element had to be included on every page, even though sort of might only needed that really the first time. We don't need to replace the store on every page transition, but, you know, we were because that was kind of the limitations of that setup. But we are, uh, the, the SEO part of it was a real problem. I mean, I know that there's a lot out there and Google sort of claims that, oh, no, no, we, we will actually load your JavaScript application and index that and everything. I would say we absolutely proved that that is not true and paid a penalty on, on that in, in that we had built some big client websites that were, you know, largely big media sort of think, think like big news websites, like a, not that we did this, but like a CNN.com or some, something like that. These big news feed websites and just saw their SEO results just crater. And that's what really pushed us towards Nuxt and just having to have server, server rendered or Static in, in the Nuxt case where we ended up was static site generated 
paced them out. Like it really is, in my experience, the only way to, to reliably get Google to index your stuff is to have HTML. You can't have just a, a single page out. Yeah, it's, and, you know, that was definitely the case. And I've got my own, you know, stories from, from dealing with those issues, you know, in the past as well. I know a couple, I want to say it's been a year. I'd have to go back and look. We interviewed a Google search DevRel, and I can't remember the name of who it was. And that was specifically one of the things that I asked him about was the SEO on a JavaScript only page. And his claim was, yeah, it's difficult, but we've gotten a lot better at it since, you know, they initially started being a thing. I haven't really, you know, delved into it since then because, and probably most people haven't, you know, because you have all these options like your, you know, your builders like Astro, for instance, or all the server side rendered options, you know, Nux, Next, Inertia, et cetera. But they claim to be better at it, but yeah, I feel that it seems to be a bit dubious at best. But yeah, yeah, my experience is absolutely. Into. Yeah, I'm so, sorry to cut you off there. I was saying my experience is that that definitely doesn't work. <laughs> at least three years ago, it didn't. <laughs> and so we, we, that was a big reason right. why we moved to Nuxt. And we were server-side rendered for a while, so we were running Nuxt in target server mode um, on Heroku in the, in the early days. And then when Nuxt became static site generated friendly we moved to netlify for a lot of our front-end hosting and now we're full static site all the way and very excited about incremental static rendering and all those things as they kind of trickled down from next into nuxt and the new version of nuxt but the isr and the incremental static rendering is something i'm very excited about because we have a couple of those big clients like we flood magazine would be one of the, the bigger ones that we use and we built and that's a nuxt website and we'd love that to be static site generated, or but it's just so it's huge, it's ten thousand pages or something. The build time would be so so big. So we're running that in server side rendered mode, but yeah, really kind of really don't enjoy Heroku and the recent GitHub hack that's kind of totally destroyed the Heroku integration with GitHub. It's been really hard to deal with. So I'm looking forward to moving that into an incremental static rendering approach as soon as we can, really. Yeah, it was interesting. I was just, um, there's a thread on Hacker News today about somebody asking about alternatives to Heroku because of that exact issue. Uh, and people, you know, talking about different uh, alternative options and, and fly.io is one that came to mind. And, and is that I remember from looking at it. I'll, I'll put that, that thread in the show notes. But have you ever, here's a question, Drew. Have you ever experienced experimented, excuse me, with something like pre-rendering. I know, for instance, that Netlify, if you have a site, they have a pre-rendering service, or there's other things like uh, Rendertron, which is at my day job, we have a huge view site and we get really, really good SEO and it's straight view on the front. uh, And we use a Rendertron service. So pre-rendering for those who are unfamiliar with it, and Drew, correct me if I'm wrong here, is basically you have another service that has fully rendered HTML. And when the bot comes around, it says, oh, this is a bot. Give it this fully rendered page to index instead of only the JavaScript loaded page that a user will see when they go into a browser. So have you dealt with that? Had any success with that at all? I looked into that when we were kind of making these big decisions about you know static side versus server rendered and all these things. And I looked into that pre-rendering because of the Netlify one. And I read some pretty horror stories around, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm curious if you guys ran into any of this, I read some horror stories about what that actually does to your server loads, um, to, to whatever, you know, like your API or whatever data sources 
being used to populate your app. Um, and it's, I wish I could remember the exact details on it, but maybe Steve, you could tell me the way that works is it will load your whole page. And then I can't remember what the downside was. It, oh man, I, I really wish I had more information on this, but yeah. Anyway, I, I remember reading some pretty ho- horror stories around the load that would happen there. Have you seen, have you guys seen anything like that? That would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense in terms of because you're basically giving you want to give fully rendered HTML to the to the bots when they're coming around. So I could see that being a server issue. I don't know the details myself because my boss was the one who set that up long before I came. So I would I'll have to talk to him and see about that. We actually interviewed my boss uh, about a year and a half ago here on Views on View and talked about exactly what our setup is. Uh, but uh, yeah, I could like my, totally my, see that being a, a server resource hog. My jogging my memory here now about it like for example like if we just talk through what that's doing right is it's at a certain time like you would have to tell pre-rendering like hey you know codes change make a new sort of index of the site which is not unlike a static site generated thing but what that's going to do is open every page basically of the site and make a you know dump of the html that it sees so you you'd be very i would imagine it would be very hard to optimize that around like well there's only you know, certain amount of like global data that we don't need to load on every page route, you know, like whatever it might be, like, like I said, menus, footers, things that are on every page, those are going to get sort of rendered every time. So, you know, you're still going to get this kind of <laughs> essentially like DDoSing your own, you know, backend while you build out like every page. But yeah, I imagine the pre-rendering scenario, you, you, you'd have a hard time sort of optimizing it and, and things like that, which we put a lot of effort into to try and get up build times down. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a viable route for sure and worth, worth looking at. You know, the, one of the problems that I face, and it's one of these things that I'm kind of jealous of because grass is always greener, I think, but, you know, at the work we do, we're just going at such a crazy <laughs> pace all the time where, you know, we're building, I'm building at Funkhouse, we're building three to four websites a month. So, and from scratch, you know, like, everyone we're building is very unique. You know, we've got high design requirements. We're not sharing any sort of code a lot of the time. We, we know we have sort of utility components like video player or a slideshow or thing like something like this that's shared. But most of it is from scratch in terms of layouts and styles and all this kind of stuff. And so we don't get a lot of time to like fine tune things. You know, we have to kind of have a setup that works and then run with it. And then, you know, very, very rarely do we get to the point where we're at the end of it and we have, you know, a few weeks to kind of like optimize and tweak or, you know, come up with some more efficient thing. So, you know, we really do, I really do lean on Netlify and these sorts of things to like just save us from spending a ton of time on DevOps and things like that because, you know, it's just not what our business model is so i'm jealous of people that are working on like one app or one website and they get to like really fine-tune these things and and do that sort of stuff so you know with netlify and our setup it's like we put a bit of bit of energy into our like server side templates like in the cms we work with our hosting company to kind of like fine-tune the amount of bandwidth they can support and things like that and then deal with the like uh the, the static site generation like concurrent build requests and stuff like this these settings in nux and we just kind of have that working now and so yeah we've gone from there so it might be worth taking a look at the pre-rendering solution and seeing if that works for us but man the 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 room for error is very thin for us um so it's hard to it's hard to like do anything sort of super 
super risky <laughs> in terms of effort, for sure. Right. Yeah, well, speaking of someone who's done both the product and the agency side of things, there's pros and cons to both sides. As uh, It's been a long time since I've been in an agency environment where you're spitting out multiple sites. You know, the pros of that, to go down a rabbit trail here, is that, you know, you get to do new things and try new projects. And, you know, depending on what your customer requirements are, uh, as compared to just working on one thing and tweaking it and making it better, you know, there's a lot of different variables going to that. But uh, to your point, yes, when you're working on one app, you really get a focus on on what can make your performance better and and uh, how you can how you can you know tweak it and and get all the little fine tuned details. And that's one thing, at least in our work, that my boss and I try to pride ourselves on is I mean, getting all the minute details down to make user experience really good and really performant. So enough of rehashing past horror stories, although I will ask you one question real quick before we go. <clears throat> do you still have nightmares like I do about dealing with uh, caching and PHP templates using stuff like Varnish or am <laughs> I the only one? <laughs> yeah, that, you know what, that has, yes, but I, we just have the new version of that nightmare, which, you know, for us is figuring out how to uh, cache GraphQL because now we have all our all our sites generally are using uh, headless. We we still use WordPress, so we we've got a headless WordPress stack that outputs only GraphQL, and so we're using the, this fantastic plugin um, built by a guy named Jason Ball, it's WP GraphQL. It's an amazing plugin that just basically makes WordPress a headless GraphQL powered sort of CMS. It's fantastic, but you know building some big sites like that are in the server-side rendered mode, uh, like the F- Flood Magazine being the main one, just the amount of traffic those guys get, it's it's just insane on the on our WordPress servers. And so we have to figure out a caching layer for that. Um, and so that became a whole other sort of challenge and ended up finding a really good solution in, in um, um, Graph CDN, uh, great CDN, set up for GraphQL stuff. And uh, I've been talking to the one of the founders there, this guy, Max, and we sort of helped us kind of engineer a WordPress plugin to invalidate the cache for certain scenarios. And so I had to solve all those problems all over again, you know, <laughs> just the modern version of it. Yeah, I was going to wonder if you were using some sort of caching or edge caching or, you know, a Cloudflare, Cloudflare workers type of approach, because that has certainly, uh, that will certainly take a lot of load off your servers if you can cache on a CDN like that. Yeah, well, on our server-side rendered stuff like Flood, this Graph CDN stuff has been fantastic. Uh, and and I share there's been some um, they they tweeted out some server logs from from that build for us to show this the amount of traffic reduction that was really impressive. But on all our server static sorry <laughs> static site generated websites on Netlify, it's been fantastic. We don't have to deal with any of that stuff. It's been amazing. You know, just you have a, a build time. Don't need caching for any of that, and uh, and then from then on, it's all static rendered HTML, and Nux takes care of it, and it's been fantastic in terms of server load and things. I mean, there's been I feel like what's happened is the front end world has like embraced SSG so much, uh, and everyone's kind of drinking that Kool Aid, and it's fantastic, and it's really revolutionized everything. But the back end infrastructure is still trying to catch up to that. So you know, working with our WordPress hosts and trying to explain to them the idea of like a headless CMS has was way harder than you would think it would be. You know, you have these proprietary CMSs that are very in front of it, like Prismic would be 
you know, the market leader, I would think they've been fantastic at what they're building over there. But trying to kind of explain to like a traditional WordPress host, this idea of a static site generation, you know, from their point of view, they're looking at these build deployments and thinking that they're getting DDoSed, you know, and this insane amount of traffic in five minutes (laughs) during a build and trying to kind of say to them, like how they price for that has been a real journey of trying to educate these more traditional hosting companies like you know our traffic because they're looking at that being like oh you've got like you know a couple of thousand people looking at your website in this two minute period you know from their point of view that's what's happening and so they just extrapolate that like all right there's you know a thousand people looking at it in this one minute build time okay well you know how many minutes in a day times a thousand, you know, and they're like, oh, you've got this insane amount of traffic. It's like, no, no, we don't. Probably only going to have the website actually being used for 10 minutes a month. (laughs) And after that, it's not getting touched. Uh, And so it's been very strange. So there's still, I think, some um, catching up going on on that side of the equation for sure. Right. So, okay, so we've been throwing around a bunch of terms. So let's get back to some basics here. So first of all, we talked about how you started out with WordPress and sort of what you moved to. Why don't you, first of all, give us, since you use Nuxt quite a lot, what Nuxt is as compared to just regular view and the features that it gives you that we've talked about a little bit, maybe elaborate a little more, that make it your tool of choice. Yeah, okay. So we all, I'm guessing, are familiar with view. And so really what view is, view is just to sort of contextualize all of this, Vue is fantastic at building components. It is a great component building thing. Where Vue isn't as great is building a website. Uh, and let me explain that. So Vue, building a whole website with Vue and using like Vue Router and Vue, Vuex and, you know, and, and all that's changing in the, in the new versions of Vue. But what Nux does is takes the component building part of Vue and then wraps it in a really opinionated uh, and, and I think in a good way, framework for building a website. So it handles page templates really, really well. It handles sort of unifying different store modules really, really well. And then a whole like plugin architecture for extending things like if you want to add Google Analytics or uh, Facebook tags or these kind of like global level things. Nux does a really good job of that. And, and you know, and then on top of that is you can run Nux in three different modes, like a single page app mode, which is what most people would be familiar with in terms of view. But you get all of the Nuxt website framework stuff too, like different layouts and pages and routing, directory-based routing and the plugin stuff that I all mentioned. You get that in the single page app mode as well. But where Nuxt really shines and why it's been the game changer for us is in the different server-rendered modes. So there's two modes being server-side rendered and static site generated. So the server-side rendered one, you run it on a node server like Heroku or something like that. And the output is a full page of HTML. And there's a whole bunch of really smart stuff going on there as well in terms of pre-fetching all of the URLs that it can find so that the next page loads happen really fast. And there's a whole lot of built-in functionality around loading states. So loading from one page into the next Nuxt sort of out of the box allows for either let you go to the new page and show, you know, like a loading spinner or some version of that, and then wait for the data to come off the server and then show it, or show some sort of progress bar before the page transition, and then 
when the data's come, complete the transition into the new page and the new page will just work straight away. So that in a server-side rendered mode, you, you do get that loading sort of state and it will hit your your um, backend in, in real time. So if you have a thousand people looking at your website and they all browse from the homepage into another page, you're going to get a thousand requests to your backend. Now, if you run that in static site-generated mode, what that does is build time. So anytime you change some code or anytime you change something in the CMS, you trigger a new build. And what will happen there is, this is where Nuxt really, in my opinion, is like sort of game-changed the way that you should do these things, <laughs> is at that deploy or build time, you will get a, um, the server will, well, the server will build that page or the HTML for that page and save that as a static website. So like the homepage will just be, you know, essentially index.html. And if the user requests the homepage, they just get given that HTML, you know, in a Netlify's case, off the CDN. So that all they're given is a static piece of HTML. They're, your backend will not be hit in that scenario. And then every page transition from that point on, so if you go from the homepage into like a detail page, your Nuxt is just getting the HTML from the next page instantly. There will be no loading time because it would have prefetched all of that stuff ahead of time and not, would not have hit the back end at all. So you're essentially like cut out your, your server. So it's serverless in this scenario. And then there's a bunch of really smart stuff around previewing, you know, from the CMS, if you want to preview content and skip all of the static rendered stuff and just make an API request to your backend so that you can preview, you know, draft content or whatever. Nux has all that built in. So that's Nux that's doing a lot. Do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of just the different sort of ways you can use that to build a website. So I think to sort of summarize it all, Vue's great at building components. Nuxt is great for building websites. Okay, so getting a little nitty-gritty on the static site generation, otherwise known as SSG, when you hear us say that. So let's, Prismic, that's a headless CMS that I've used for a couple of different projects that you mentioned earlier. And so if, let's say that I have, I want to do a static site, but I want to stash my data for the static site in Prismic. So, you know, I go into Prismic and I create my content type and put my fields in, you know, standard CMS type stuff. And let's say I have 10 records back there and I want to generate uh, one unique HTML page for each of those records in Prismic. How does Nuxt handle that from a static site generated standpoint? Is it querying your API somehow and saying, okay, I've got 10, so I'm going to build 10 static pages? Or is it doing something on the fly? Well, how does how is that working? Yeah, so it used to be that you had to basically provide a sitemap to Nuxt. So you had to kind of give it a, a big list of URLs to fetch. So when you're building, an, uh, like let's say we're building the homepage in Nuxt, there's a, there's a special Nuxt hook. Like if you, everyone's in view familiar with like mounted and destroyed and created and things like that. Well, Nuxt has two of its own. Mm -hmm. One is called async data and another one's called fetch. So the async data one is, um, that's your place to request information from the server. And that will be requested before the template is, is rendered. So a lot of the times, that's what we will, we will use async data to fetch data from, in this case, Prismic. And then you will display all that on the page. You know, you put your text here and pass in props to other child components or whatever you might want to do. And so that's your homepage in Nuxt. And Nuxt has a fantastic directory-based routing system. So you would just have under a, a directory called pages, you would just have index.view and that's your homepage. 
And so that's a, a Nuxt is aware that you have a homepage because you have index.view. But what if you have pages that don't have predictable URLs, you know, like you're linking into, you know, you're building a website around cars and you have a list of the 10 car manufacturers, BMW, Ford, Tesla, whatever. And those are all coming out of CMS. So Nuxt isn't going to know ahead of time that you have all of those URLs. So Nuxt has a great sort of page directory for that. You, you In this scenario, you would have a, a directory underscore cars or underscore uh, manufacturer, something like that. You can call it whatever you want. But the underscore it acts kind of like a, a wildcard. And so that allows you to like really build out these templates in a really, really smart way. But the question then becomes, okay, how does Nux know that those are, you know, should build out slash Tesla <laughs> and get that markup? So it used to be that you have to provide it a big blob or an array of all the URLs. But about two years ago, I think, they introduced Generation Crawler, which is fantastic. And that removes the need for this array of URLs you had to provide at, at build time. And so now what will happen is it will, Nux will look at your static site, static URLs that it knows about. You know, the obvious one being the homepage. Probably pretty much everything you build is going to have the homepage. And it will build the homepage just statically. And it will look through your code for any links, A tags, to other pages internally to the website. So if you have an A tag linking out to, you know, like Google or something, it will ignore those. But if there's links going to internal parts of the website, it will then just follow that link and build that page. And then any links it finds, follow that, build that next page. So it just crawls your own website and finds all of the URLs for you. So there is no need to now provide any of the URLs as long as your site is built in a way that includes URL links to every part of the website that, you know, as opposed to you don't have any hidden URLs or anything like that. If you had hidden pages that you didn't want accessible to the public, those will be not, those won't be static generated, but Nuxt is smart enough to know that if you request a page that doesn't exist, it will then just run as a single page app for that page. So if we had a secret car manufacturer that we didn't want to list in our menu, but you wanted that URL to work if I emailed it to someone, well, they're going to just get a single-paged app version of that page, and it works fantastic. So that's that's sort of the overview of how it handles building out the URLs in a static-generated sense, and it's been it's fantastic. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So now with static site, can you also have, how, how does it handle, say you have some interactivity, say from a JavaScript standpoint, you know, accordions or, you know, UI enhancements other than just, you know, static content sitting there on the page. How does that handle that? Does it just render that as plain JavaScript if you write it using view syntax or how does, how does stuff like that work? Yeah. So anything that's interactive like that, well, so you have a few options. One is like, if you're coming from a server rendered world, you're tempted to do things like 
some sort of user agent detect, you know, or like screen width detection and render this thing differently if it's on a mobile device versus on a desktop device. And so that is certainly like a learning curve and, and a real common gotcha when they're like I'm training a new developer that hasn't worked in this like static generated world is that they'll do things like that. And you have to realize that like at build time, those things don't exist. There is no like window width because it's running on a you know, Netlify node server. There's no window. So you have to kind of be aware of those things. And I honestly, I think what that actually does is makes you a better developer because you're building things without requiring a server in the loop. So you have to think about it like, all right, well, can I do this layout change with CSS? Or can I do this layout or this interactive thing in a way that doesn't cause what's called a node mismatch error where the server-ended code is different when it hits the client. So if you did like, you know, something based on the window width, well, window width is zero on the server. When it hits the client, it's going to be completely different. And those will throw node mismatch errors, which is Node's uh, Nuxt way of telling you like you did something that's not static site generated friendly. And so when it comes to like accordion menus or like a drop-down menu or things like that, well, let's that's all just static HTML and you're just changing a class or an inline style to animate it from left to right or up or down or open or closed. So those things are fine. Like when a menu, when in a static site generated scenario, the menu is going to, you're going to want to render the menu closed, initial load. So that's fine. And if you want it open, then from that point on, it's client side and it's a, it's a yeah, client side interaction. So it's not going to have any kind of impact on the static site generated thing. Now, where it gets problem or like another sticking point, and we run into this a lot on multi-region sites. So like you have a website that, or like a company, I'm building, we're building one right now actually for a big production company called Pretty Bird. They have an American sort of operation and a European operation. And so what is the homepage for Pretty Bird going to be? Depending on what website, what country you're in, you're going to want to get different content. And so the way to handle that is, and this is where I think it's forcing you to be a better developer really, is everything has to have its own URL. So in the Pretty Bird scenario, we're going to have the homepage Pretty Bird, which is prettybird.co. This site isn't out yet, although the one that's up on Pretty Bird right now, we also built years ago. So Pretty Bird's been a long-time client of ours. But the new Pretty Bird website will, the base, you know, naked URL will basically be an IP detect that will run client-side and then force you into a slash US or a slash EU homepage. And so from that, that point on, you know, as long as everything has its own unique URL under the EU region or the US region, there's no problem. So you just have to have, make strategic decisions like that. You know, was, think about everything as being one URL. What's the HTML for this URL? Not different content at the same URL for different clients. Nux does provide a what's called a client-only client component. So you can just, similar to like the view transition component, you can wrap client only around something and that will be ignored from the static html that's being built and so you you'll use that for like the one that's iconic for using that is like a masonry style layout something that really really man- requires manipulating the markup for clients in, in the client side scenario so masonry blocks a masonry grid is really good at you know you need to know so much about the window width or the dimensions of something so you would generally use client only for something like that um, you just have to be aware when you do that, like what are the, the SEO implications of this? Because I'm essentially going to be hiding this, whatever is wrapped in client only, I'm hiding that from Google. So you definitely don't want to do that for important parts of the website. 
Okay, so we've talked a lot about the static site. So the oh, I'm sorry. One more question I wanted to ask real quick. You mentioned async data and fetch, which are you know your main ways of getting data. If I remember correctly, doesn't async data have a context that tells you whether it's running on the server side or on the client side? Yeah, yeah. Nuxt has an easy way to do that. Kind of in in almost every part of the templates that you're using, you, you can run process dot client, process dot server. These two sort of node variables that will tell you like what scenario you're running in so you can do that but you just, once you get, get the hang of it you actually surprisingly don't do that a lot that, and the main the main differences between async data and fetch is the async data one is the one that happens before the render of the template and fetch will happen after so you can use fetch in any component so we use fetch the fetch hook for like our menu component so we'll have like we have a component called menu and that menu you just apply it a name I want the main menu, I want the social media menu, I want the footer menu, whatever. And that component will fetch its own data. It's good for that kind of stuff. But on the page level, you definitely want to use the async data one. And I mean, from memory now, actually, because we only ever use it, we really only are doing this on static site generation stuff. Async data, I think, is only a server, only runs server-side. Yeah, it's a server-side, that's server-side. So in any scenario, it's running server-side, yeah. So async data is a server-side one, and there's some special limitations around what you can do in there. Like you can't access this, so you can't you can't use like computers or methods inside right. of async data. So again, that kind of force actually forces you into I think being a better programmer because you you can't um yeah it, it forces you to kind of think like all right this is like an initial data sort of population I can't kind of manipulate it from here and then you know you sort of build on top of that with computers that use data from that async async data provided anyway so you know it sounds a little bit maybe like a limitation when you hear us talking about it but in reality it, it, it doesn't really hurt you at all it's, it's actually kind of encourages you i think to make some good decisions okay so then the other option that you know the one you've talked most about or some about is the server side render where you basically have a node server running on the back end and you're dynamically hitting that server whenever a page request is made so talk about that for a little bit yeah so server side rendered and in the nux world that's Nux has a config file that you set up at the beginning, and one of those um, parameters is target. So you can run it in target server, which would be server-side rendered, or you can run it in target static, which would be static generated, or I think the other one is just leaving target blank, and I think that will be a single page app. But yeah, so target server is running it on a node server. So I think it's easiest to talk about that stuff through the, the lens of a request. So a user goes to your website, types in, you know, www funkhouse.us and if that was running in server-side rendered mode what would happen is that request is going to hit your server like in this case would be heroku so if you were looking at your heroku logs you would see a a request coming in and heroku your server would then generate the markup for that page so in this case would be the home page for the funkhouse website and would generate all that in you know real time well as a request so as fast as your server is going to be a couple of milliseconds give you back that html and so what would happen there is Heroku is going to load up, boot up the request for that page, hit your API to fetch the data that is needed for that page, generate the markup, give it to you. So you're now in a very traditional, you know, that that's how PHP works. That's how Ruby and Rails, all these old ones, sort of older structures worked. And that's what this does, but it's just Node and it's all JavaScript and everything like that. So that some of the, the limitations there is server bandwidth and server load. So if you've got a website that gets a lot of traffic, you need big servers. And it also, in, in my experience, it's a much more fragile setup because 
if there's a Heroku error for whatever reason, but your Heroku can crash. You know, we, we've had it happen a lot <laughs> and that can happen for all different kinds of reasons. And so there's no, you know, you're now in rebooting servers and dealing with all that kind of stuff. That can't happen in a static side generated scenario because all you're serving up is HTML. And if something goes wrong in your deploy process, you know, like you committed some bad code or something, then Netlify will just not deploy that. And your users will be getting the previous version that did successfully deploy. So it's much harder to release bad code in a static site generated world versus the server side rendered one. But some of the advantages in the server side rendered world are you you can do things like user agent text. You can do things like share because there's a server, you can share cookies from the back end to the front end and you can have a much more kind of integrated sort of API that's part of your website if you needed something like that. And also there's no deploy time. It's instant. So as soon as something gets published on the CMS, it's instantly available on the front end. Now, because of what I talked about in terms of server load and things like that, you're probably going to want to put some kind of CDN or caching layer in front of all of this stuff to try and sort of insulate your server which which is four problems we've dealt with and you know I'll, I'll shortcut the effort there cloudflare is a great solution <laughs> and worked well for us and then using some kind of api protection as well like if whatever you're if you're using something like prismic as your cms then you don't have to worry about it because prismic essentially is static <laughs> you should look in if you're interested in this kind of stuff and you should look into how the prismic api works it's pretty incredible how their the prismic api is essentially a cdn of static api <laughs> Kind of. It's really interesting the way they've done it. And it's pretty, pretty incredible. But hmm. anyway, I was going to say is if, yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. It's, it's fascinating. But in our scenario where we have GraphQL coming out of a headless WordPress setup, you need definitely want to, if you've got a lot of traffic, you're going to want to have some kind of uh, CDN or caching layer in between Heroku and your API. So for us, that's been Graph CDN. It's been fantastic for that. Yeah, that can't, you know, we talked about earlier about how you definitely need it for PHP. You know, with the node and the node event, the famous node event loop, and how much faster it is because you're not having to spit up multiple threads. It's you know using one thread. That's going to make it much more efficient out of the box than some of the other server side languages. Uh, correct. Yes, but in practice, you also have some some big things you have to worry about. One being that Node is running always. Even if no one's looking at the site, it's running. Now, you know, Apache and PHP and stuff mm-hmm. are also doing that, but it's in a different sort of way. So like if you, well, in my experience, it's very hard to crash a PHP server to the point where it stops giving out markup at different URLs. You know, it's easy to sort of break one page on the PHP stuff, but hard to like turn off the server by accident. <laughs> It's surprisingly easy to do that in a Heroku like node scenario. You can run some, like in the Nuxt world, if you set up a plugin in kind of the wrong way, you're just going to chew up all of your server memory in this one plugin that you didn't realize was getting kind of loaded over and over and over and over and over again, you know, because it's kind of sharing this one sort of machine, um, one sort of instance across all of your traffic. And so if you do something wrong on one url it is possible to crash your whole website so that that's kind of the downside of the of the the node world but yeah it's very efficient and javascript all the way you know that's that's been a big reason big advantage to what we've done at funkhouse it's just other than our php sort of wordpress 
backend part is now relatively no code because it's just an API. Um, and we, we have some custom plugins and use advanced custom fields and things like this to get the data modeling kind of all GUI based. But the front end now is just JavaScript all the way. And, you know, if we're ever having to build some custom backend that like we built this big giant website for stalker films, a big stock, stock video library, and that's got a big node, custom node backend. And being able to go JavaScript for your backend and JavaScript for your front end has been fantastic in terms of just recruitment. You don't have like so hard to find PHP developers these days. Like no one, no one's graduating college with knowing PHP. <laughs> so it's been great to just focus on the JavaScript side. So yeah, I'd recommend Node for sure. It's been great for us. So now, but also with JavaScript, obviously lives in the browser. And so, and well, okay, some JavaScript lives in the browser. Node is obviously JavaScript on the server. But with a server-side rendered application, don't you also have the option of modifying data with view, you know, in a component once it gets to the browser? Instead of, instead of saying, okay, here's my data from the server. This is all you get. You can't tweak it at all. Yeah, well, you have to realize what's what. Okay, so what happens in a server rendered scenario is, you know, just on the server, it's it, like essentially it's opening up Chrome <laughs> on the server, building out your page. But there's some things that don't exist, like window being the big one, and window width and and any of the scroll position things like this that are, are really like require a, a human to be using it. Those things don't exist. But otherwise, you know, it's just essentially opening up Chrome. In, in a window on the server, looking at the source code and giving you that. And then when it hits the client side, you you can change it if you want to. But the reality is you don't really need to very, very much, you know, for that initial load. Once the user starts interacting with it, they scroll down, they open the menu, these kinds of things, they click on something. Those are all user interaction things. And from there on, you know, views just doing its thing. But for the initial, the whole point of all of this is just that you want the initial load that comes off the server to be as act like in an ideal scenario, that HTML just gets displayed directly to the user and there's no change. If you can achieve that, and when I say no change, it's like think of it in the lens of like Google Lighthouse scores, like no layout shift, no font delay, you know, image resizing, none of that. If you can have zero change, that's the goal because that's the most SEO friendly solution. So, you know, really like some of the things. I'm always sort of challenging with our design team is like page intro animations, you know, like oh, I've come to the homepage and we want to show like the logo and then zooms up and does all these things. I'm like, great. Google's going to punish you crazy for those things <laughs> because you, from Google's point of view, you're, you're doing all these big layout shifts and time to interactivity is all messed up because you're like turning off parts of the website because you want to show some fancy intro introduction animation that kind of stuff is now getting super penalized for SEO. So you definitely don't want to do those things unless you're just building kind of like a showcase or an application that isn't, doesn't require SEO friendly, you know, behavior like a login or something is, you know, you're not going to, not going to SEO that stuff. But, you know, to, to your question, Steve, like your goal still should be from a, from a good user experience point of view is that the HTML that comes off the server should be for that initial load should be as, close to accurate as it can be because you then it'll just make your whatever you're building that much faster and more interact um, time to interactivity will be as low as it can be so it'll be better for your users anyway yeah and there's an example that i'm coming to mind that i put a lot of time into 
over this past years is if you're doing something like graphing and charting with D3 or Chart.js or something like that, where the chart is all rendered in the JavaScript. So you've got to get the data first and then, you know, you render it once it comes up and then you might have some interactivity with mouse overs and, you know, depending on how much complexity you have built into your chart or your graph. But I think that's one of those cases where you can only get, you can get the data from the server side, but you still got to render it client side. Yeah, because a chart, charting is a great example because the chart largely, you know, think about if you're like building out like Google Analytics dashboard or something, like how wide your browser is, is going to depend on how much data you want to display. You know, if you're looking at on a phone, I've only got a couple, 500 pixels or something versus on my big screen, I might want to show months of data. So, you know, the request will be different. A graph in that scenario would be a great example of that would be, in my opinion, a good client only component. You would, that the idea is this would only be loaded client side, you know, or you would load the everything but the data. So you would build out like the, you know, the accesses and whatever kind of, you know, labels and all that kind of stuff that would be server ended, but the actual data chart part might be client a client only request because we need to know how big the screen is you know those kinds of things right okay so we've been yakking on and yakking on here about things as they are now let's talk about what is to be so as of the uh this recording early may a week ago the first next i believe it was the rc came out That was just a sampling of the response from the Next community as a result of that beta. So let's talk about what's coming out, what you see coming that's going to be really useful uh, for your building your sites going forward. Yeah, so Nux 3. Uh, everything that I've talked about up till now is Nux 2. Now, Nux 3, the release candidate came out last week, like you said. Very exciting stuff. So the big ones are Nux 2 has all been Vue 2. So settings, uh, the options API and things like that. Nux 3, big thing is it's Vue 3. So we get all of the composition API and all of that stuff that's coming out with the new Vue 3. So that's sort of like the top level. But the other parts of it, and I'm sure all the, the Nux dev team, would, will be, if they're listening to this, will be screaming like, oh, what about Nitro and all, <laughs> all these? So there's a lot of stuff they've done to just increase performance and and build time. Vite is built. It's Default is that now. So like the, the build times are much, 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 much faster. They have their own. That's Vite. Vite as in feet. Vite, yeah. Not Vite, um, Vite. Um, Got a correction on that. <laughs> no, good, good correction. Uh, I'm terrible at pronouncing these things. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, they have their own API solution now. So like if you want to build your front end, but you also need to build an, a- an API that goes with that, now you can do that in Nuxt. So you really can have like this front end and back end all living in the one code base now, which um, is really, really interesting. So that's a big, big thing. The incremental static rendering that is not in release candidate one, but it's going to be part of Nuxt 3 is huge. And so that's something that's going to be a big, big advantage for us. Yeah, that's always been sort of, uh, I think, Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that one has always (laughs) sort of been the holy grail is the idea of being able to, when you rebuild the site in static site generation mode, you don't have to rebuild everything. You can only just, you know, rebuild the specific part of your application that that needs to be updated, which, you know, when a big site, that can be a huge thing. I know that the, the first 
place that I saw handle that was uh, Gatsby, but it was only with their hosted service where they could do incremental rebuilds. Yeah, next Next.js, I mean, a lot of a lot of what I'm talking about here is already in Next.js in the React world, and it's all trickling down to Nuxt. So, you know, there's been solutions for this, but I'm very excited to have it in the Vue community now. The other thing that I'm very excited about, just because it plays into the websites that we build, is the being able to use Vue teleport. The teleport component is going to be... Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the mm-hmm. portal components. Being able to... Because that's been a real pain point whenever you're trying to build things. So for people that don't know what that does is it's going to be very handle for very handy for things like models or uh, yeah overlays, things like this, or even components that you want to have live in a certain template, like they need to be in, you know, on the contact page. But you need the HTML to be not in the content contact page. You know, like I really want this to be in the footer but I only want it on the contact page. In the Nuxt 2 world, you really would have to sort of build that into the footer and have some protection around only show this on the contact route. But what if I needed to fetch data from the contact page to go into this thing? And it became this whole like real pain to work in that scenario. But now you can, you'll be able to build something that lives on the contact page, but you can tell it, render this in the footer. So you can sort of, you can teleport components from one page into other parts of the website that is going to be huge for us and solve a big big pain point for a lot of things that we do so i'm very excited about about that one so that's a that's a big one and then because you can do that there's now some really interesting transitiony stuff coming out of that because now you'll be able to uh you can you could transition a component across page transitions so i could have a, a component that lived on the home page and when I go to the contact page, I want that to like animate, you know, grow from being small to big and move up into the corner or something. Really hard to do that now because you can't really transition components across page renders. You'd have to leave that in some global area and sort of move it around. But now, uh, because you could move it into a teleport and then it would exist, you could basically like move it from the homepage into the contact page. And so that's going to allow for some really, really, really cool animations, which is the name of the game for, for the work we do at Funcast. Cool. So yeah, that's one of those things that I uh, had never even seen in for, <laughs> at least in my developmental experience. But uh, now that I've seen it and played with it, it, uh, it uh, certainly makes sense on how easy it is to move things around. You know, one that struck me that's another little small one that saves writing some boiler code, boilerplate code is suspense. You know, where if you're loading a page, you know, you're loading a page and you want to show, a, you know, an animated GIF or loading bar, you know, whatever, until your content's loaded, you used to have to, you know, assign a variable, then check to see, you know, check the status of that variable and then load your content. Well, now you've just got two sections. I can't remember how it's broken up, but you have uh, one section that shows what you want to render while it's waiting and then your finished content after that. Yeah, that I haven't had to use that, but it, yeah, that's. It's exciting what's going on and just how much easier this is getting to do hard stuff. Yeah, the, the Nitro, so they have another thing that's interesting is they have, Nux3 has a, a new server engine called Nitro. And so that's kind of their own sort of, I guess the, cl- the closest thing to think of that is like it's like a middleware, kind of like a, re- I guess like a replacement to Express might be one way to think about it. But it, it, it's a really handy way for building mm-hmm. server server APIs. Um, that's built into Nuxt. 
which, you know, depending on kind of your, your background, you might be like, why, why is my backend code living with my frontend code? <laughs> but in our world, that's actually pretty handy for, for certain things, you know, like we built this big website around um, generating sort of dynamic email templates, you know, like I could sign up for this, it's called political playlist and you could use it to generate a playlist of political candidates that sort of match your interests. You know, something like that requires this backend to be running and it's generally, you know, a whole different sort of structure and different code base and different servers and all this kind of stuff. Well, now, you, you know, you could do something like that all, all in the one place, which, which I'm a big fan of because it's all JavaScript, you know, and I don't see a big reason why those need to live in two different places. Right. Now, I've been talking, and I'll talk about this at the end. I've been talking with one of the Nuxt, I don't know if his core team, but he works on Nuxt full-time for the organization. And he was talking about some of the things that are built in from an API standpoint in terms of making calls. So like use fetch is one that comes to mind. And between that and the composition API, I may, I did this, uh, I'm making an API call to a third-party uh, API in one line and putting it in my data, and then it's available in my template to do what it is. I don't have to do imports. I don't have to go to set up separate API endpoints. It's crazy how, how much boilerplate is removed uh, and how easy it is to do things in, in much less code. Yeah, that that's when I earlier I said I described Nuxt and I, I said that it, it's an opinionated website building framework. And the opinionated part can turn a lot of people off, you know, like if you've used anything that is strongly opinionated sometimes it, that's just cool it's great but it doesn't work for what i needed to do you know and having the flexibility has been is what you want you know i think on the other end of the spectrum something like react that has no opinions almost you know and i think working in the react world you there's a lot of like what's the right way to do this and you just sort of there is really no right way to do it a lot of the times and so what that means is like react code bases are like very different you know depending on what decisions were made in the view world and the nux world you know i think it's the right balance in my opinion you know of of an of opinionated stuff so there's some consistency to things and you know like you can just look and be like oh there's the page routes they all always live here you know the components are always living here and the component has a style and a template tag and a script tag you know? and so nux has done a really good job of kind of extending those view opinions from the components up to like a website level so you know handling things like like in the in the view world, you know, handling something like a third party embed script, you know, is not exactly intuitive. <laughs> Nuxt has packaged in the view meta <laughs> plugins to do, to handle all of that stuff, so they've made a decision for you, so you don't have to, you know, and it's been 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 really handy. Same same with like all the different you know post CSS versus SAS, all the different things like that. Like when you're installing a Nuxt project, just ask you those things: Do you want post CSS or SAS? SAS, you know, next step. Do you want to use TypeScript? Yes or no? You know, it's really, really good. So it's been uh, just, it's great in terms of saving yourself code that you don't have to worry about. Now, have you, do you see any use for middleware? Is that something you use now? I know it's something that's used quite a bit, for instance, in Laravel. And it looks like, so that capability is being added to your API endpoints. So in other words, what that allows you to do is, here, you went and fetched data. Okay, before it gets to the front, I want to do something with it. I want to check it and reject it if something doesn't meet a certain criteria. I want to add some data to it or whatever you want to do. Is that is that something you've used much or plan on using much? Yeah, we've used that a, a, a lot for some of our single page app 
style websites that require authentication. And so we'll do, we'll have a, a server middleware to see if you're authenticated. So that, that's a great place to do something like that. Like on every request, I want to look and I want to see if you're looking at a URL that we're deeming as public, then, you know, just allow that. And if it's private, you, we want to make sure you're authenticated. So that's been a really good use for a server, a server middleware. And same with, you know, another great server middleware that we use is to handle previewing of uh, protected content. Like if you're basically, if you're in a server-side rendered mode and you have a query string of question mark preview equals true, well, okay, we'll, we'll now pass the cookies straight directly to the back end. And, you know, if your cookies pass, then we'll actually return the result. So that's, that's a good server middleware we use. Anyone can actually look at this on our Funkhouse GitHub repo. We have a boilerplate for, the, for all of our websites in there that you'll be able to see. Um, we have both the, the, we open source a, a lot of what we do there. And so you'll see a, a Nuxt boilerplate and then a WordPress uh, headless kind of boilerplate. And you'll be able to see how we use all of those things. There's also client-side middleware, which is kind of a strange thing to think about, but that's something you want to run on every route client side, not a server side thing. And so what we, what we do there is we look to see what the referrer was and save a lot of information into the, into Vuex, what, you know, which will not, not exist in Nux three, but yeah. So we save just like basic information on referrer stuff so we can see what the previous page was and make some different decisions based on that. So yeah, the, the, the middleware solution is great. Again, Great example of what some stuff that Nux just makes it easy for you to do that is not exactly, I mean, when I say easy, it's like create a file called referrer.js and then write your code in there. It's done. There's nothing else to it. So, you know, doing that in the traditional view app is, is a little more difficult. For sure. So before I wrap up, a couple of the things I wanted to touch on real quick. One is the pages directory is now optional. So I believe in Nux 2, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Drew, you had to use a pages directory for all of your files. So if you, let's say you just have a one page little website, you know, with a, a scrolling page that has everything on one page, you have to go into pages and then create an index.view file. Now, by default, it uses app.view. And if you want to, you can dump everything in there, or you can add a couple components. Uh, I think it's called Nux Pages. And then you then it forces you to use your pages directory and all the subdirectories and, and directory based routing that that it uses, which uh, certainly gives some flexibility, like I said, for just the small stuff where you got a you know one page static site. You know, a common one that I would see is like a gym, a CrossFit gym or some sort of exercise where they only have so much information to show you and they and they put it all on one page. Any thoughts on that, Drew? Sorry, Steve, you dropped out there for a second. But you were talking about page routes and, and the new optional pages directory. Yes. You know, I actually think the page directory structures is fantastic and is one of the strongest points of Nuxt. It makes it so easy to build out your different route routing templates. I have not seen a need for why I would not want to use that. I guess the reason, I mean, the reason why that they've removed that or made it optional, basically, if you, that, and this is where Nuxt is fantastic. Really what that means is if you just don't have a directory called pages, it won't include the view router. So you don't have to make any decisions or delete anything or turn anything off. Just like if, if that's present, then view router is included. And if not, then it's not. So if you just wanted to have a true single page app that wasn't going to have any routing, like you only wanted to show a login page and from there, I don't know, you know, it'd be pretty limited, I think, why you wouldn't want to do that. 
or you just didn't want to use view router you wanted to kind of have your own approach to it all and go full manual then you could do that but man i would i would really strongly urge anyone out there to not do that and use the the nux page routing uh template routing sort of stuff it's fantastic and so easy to use well like i mentioned i don't know if you heard me if i cut out but there are you know cases where maybe you have a server-side rendered app that's a brochure type site and you only need one page, right? Then you can just use app.view and it works just as well as pages slash index.view. Little thing might not be a big thing for some people. For someone, for like the sites that you make, yeah, I can see that page directory is, is the bomb. Uh, but other smaller use cases, and I can think of a couple, just app.view would suffice. Yeah, that's a good example, actually. Yeah, that's a good example. Just a single page with nothing else on it. Yeah, you wouldn't want to include view router when you're not needing to do that. It's a good example. There's, there's a couple of other, you know, to sure. people aren't familiar with Nux, there's a couple of other sort of really uh, like official kind of like mod, they call them modules, but there's, think of them kind of like extensions to Nux. And they have one called Nux content, which is made me think of when you talked about right. a brochure type website. Nux content is their own solution of, of, you including your Nuxt code, a bunch of markdown files, and those markdown files are used as your CMS. So if you're building a website that doesn't require non-technical people to update the content, so if it's like you know your own tech blog, for example, you can just write markdown files in your content in a directory called content. And you know if you structure that in the right way, then those those are essentially that's your API now of, of your CMS, but it all lives together. That's pretty phenomenal. Another one that you you sort of will be surprised if you haven't used Nux before is you do not need to import any of your components anymore. It just has auto component importing. Right. So if you're building building out the homepage and you need to include, you know, like a slideshow, and you don't have to like import component and then add that. It just works. That stuff is like the developer experience is just so handy once you get used to it. It's hard to go back. Now, I would imagine that could have some performance implications if you've got a whole bunch of stuff out there and you don't need to use it every time, but Nuxt is importing it anyway. So is there some is it using some sort of smart or lazy loading type uh, system to only import what you need? Yeah, so let's say that that slideshow, I, I had a conditional where like I only want to show that slideshow in certain scenarios. I don't want to import that component in the scenarios where it's not being shown. So let's say that was called slideshow gallery was my component name. Well, if I know that that's a lazy loaded thing, I'm only going to use it sometimes, then I would just call that lazy dash slideshow dash gallery. And pending the word lazy at the start of it will tell you that it's a, that will tell Nux to like lazy load this component. So yeah, they've thought of that. It's really good. And I think there's a, they're going to change that so that you, you can optionally have the word lazy or you could add a, uh, I think it's going to be like a, a data attribute or something kind of like the way lazy. Uh, lazy loading works for images natively now so you'll just have like a data data attribute right that will be so yeah so they're um yeah thought of that it's, it's really it's really handy for sure yeah just a side note i hate the term lazy loading because to me it indicates a component that doesn't want to work versus a component that's only being loaded when it's needed but uh i'll take that up with the wc3 or the tc39 or something and then the last thing I want to mention is Vite. Yes, it's spelled V-I-T-E, but that's French for fast along those lines, Mr. Baker. <clears throat> is It is it's so smoking fast. The first time I spun up a Nux3 project and loaded with Vite, it blew me away how fast it was just load and then the instant hot module reloading. And I mean, it was so hot that I had smoke coming out of my laptop. It was crazy. So, and Vite, I'm sure many people have heard about it, is... It's so popular that it's 
used in Svelte. A lot of people use it with React projects. It's the version two makes it generic so that it isn't specific to Vue as the version one was. But the the build time and and uh, hot module reloading is is crazy fast just because of using native browser resources instead of uh, having to manually do a lot of work. And there's many podcasts out there on Beat, so I'm sure you can find some, including some with Evan Yu. So yeah, Beat, Beat is the bomb in terms of speed. So with that, we are going way long. Picks, let's move on to picks. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Uh, Drew, you got any picks for us today? Just refresh me on the picks thing, Steve. This is just things that I found interesting lately, right? Yes. Anything that you want to talk about within reason. You know, uh, I don't think we have the SCC checking on us, but you know what I mean. Family friendly. <laughs> yeah. I talked about this on the JavaScript Jabber stuff, but so I'm sort of sorry if anyone's listened to both these things, but Man, that stuff that's going on with t.xyz. I'm not. They're great. (laughs) I'm not sorry if they do. That's good for us. Yeah, it is. No, the t.xyz stuff is really interesting. I'm very excited to see what happens in that world and been looking at it a lot. Uh, Anyone who sort of doesn't know, like that's the guy Max Howe, I believe, that started Brew. He's sort of new package manager to Brew, which is going to use NFTs to provide funding for packages so it's trying to solve this idea of like your high level packages that are well funded via you know patreon and sponsorship and things like that you know like view or react being good examples of that but you know those are built on top of thousands of packages that no one's ever heard of and so what t is trying to do is provide a mechanism for funding all the way down to all those little packages that's pretty exciting to think what that could do for the open source community. And, you know, I think it's the first time I've seen something in this NFT crypto space that seems to be solving a real problem that we have that can't be solved in a more traditional way. But obviously the big, the big question is like, how is that going to play well against NPM and like the established ecosystem? So we're really going to be testing out this theory of centralized versus decentralized and, that's a very interesting thing I've been looking at. What about what about you, Steve? What are your picks? Well, real quick, I was going to say, yeah, this guy, I forget his name too. He likes beverages or his names. You know, you have homebrew, which is all beers and kegs and cask. And now you've got tea. That's T-E-A. First time Drew said this, I was looking for tea.xyz. I'm like, what the heck? Finally figured out it was tea, the beverage he was talking about. Have you, Side note real quick. Have you ever heard the story about that guy and when he interviewed at Google? No, no, tell me that. So basically, you know, he, he wrote Homebrew. He's been maintaining it for a while. And, you know, it's real well-known, huge, especially by a lot of people at Google. And he goes to interview at Google for a job and he doesn't get it. And he puts out a tweet that says, hey, I write the tools that most of your people at Google write, but you want to hire me, so blank you. <laughs> and it set off a bomb. It was just a huge, huge issue. I remember reading about it. Uh, and he's, you know, looking back on it, he's... Lo- fairly introspective. He's like, yeah, I didn't really study as well for the tests, you know, for the, the interview tests as well as I should have and so on. But uh, it's, it's a funny story. And if you can find an interview with him, 
it's interesting to listen to. That's funny. I'll, I'll, but, um, uh, another, another really interesting thing that I read about recently that I think anyone in the view and, and front-end world would be fascinating. I'll, I'll find the article and we'll put it in the show notes, but uh, I found it on Hacking News. And it was a guy talking about his experiences building a native app versus an Ionic app. And he built the native app on iOS. It was, a, it was an interactive, very highly interactive game, like an interface that looked very much like a game. And it was about trying to get his kids ready to go to school faster. And he had built it as a native app. And then just, just because he was a good developer, thought, oh, I wonder if I could make this a web app, you know, and he made it a, an Ionic app. So if anyone's not familiar with that is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a framework to build a, a React or view-based app, but have it and have it work as a native app. And so he built the native app well, the, the Ionic version of this and installed it on his kids' phones kind of without telling them and had <laughs> he thought that this was a great test a great test case because he thought his kids complained about everything and none of them noticed. And he realized that the performance was equally the same or to the point that no one could tell the difference. And so he wrote a big, a big article about doing this and it was fascinating to me because I've, I've been looking about you know, trying to see, you know, can I build a, a native app in, in the view, you know, using view. So I've been looking at native script or Ionic. And uh, the comments on that article on Hacker News are, fa- are phenomenal, very interesting. A lot of people are sort of saying, well, it depends on your use case. You know, like if you want native UI elements like keyboards and input fields and things like that, then this isn't the solution. But it really does seem like in terms of performance and animation and things like this, that that we've finally gotten to the point in the last couple of years where the the Ionics and the native scripts, there's no performance penalty, it seems. And so that's something that I was very surprised and also excited to read and and, and definitely going to be building an Ionic app at some point, I think. Yeah, now Electron is sort of the precursor to Ionic, right? I know, for instance, that this what the Slack desktop app is written in a rather ubiquitous client that a lot of remote teams use. And the beef with Electron has always been performance and how it's just a resource hog uh, on computers. And I've heard good things about Ionic in terms of performance, uh, in particular, obviously how it allows you to use your native web development tools to create an app. So one of those things that I have on my list of, yeah, that'd be great to get into <laughs> if I had the time. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I found the story. Now, the guy's name is Max Howell that wrote Homebrew. And I actually found <laughs> the Hacker News thread that has his tweet after he'd interviewed at Google, and I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, he says it was, quote, Google, 90% of our engineers use the software you wrote, Homebrew, but you can't invert a binary tree on a whiteboard, so F off. And <laughs> and if you're looking down in the thread, uh, it looks like people from Google responded. Uh, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we'll be talking with our team about this. And yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I had a bad experience <laughs> type of thing. So I'll put it in the show notes. So yeah, that'll be one of my picks. But we're finally to the high point of any of my podcasts, which are the dad jokes. So I'll give you two or three here. And one here's a, a very applicable one for a web developer. And uh, the quote is, what do you call a knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, that refuses to fight? Any thoughts? No idea. Uh, I'll tell you. <laughs> Surrender. <laughs> very good. I know he's laughing, really. I promise he is. And then yesterday I was at uh, I was at McDonald's and I was eating, you know, just sitting there eating a kid's meal until a parent told until the kid's parents told me to knock it off. 
<laughs> get it? I was eating the kid's meal. And then finally, Murphy's Law. We all know that is simply whatever can go wrong will go wrong. But have you heard of Cole's Law? It's simply thinly sliced cabbage and carrots served with mayonnaise. My drum joke didn't work. So anyway, those are my dad jokes for the day. And uh, Drew, thank you so much for coming. Anything we missed that you want to cover before we uh, bail? No, no. Thanks for having me, Steve. Always great to talk to you about this stuff. And uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Oh, no. I seem to have lost Drew. Well, not sure what I did to him. Also, I would like to say thank you to the studio audience for coming. It's always nice to uh, add their uh, their feedback, their applause to the show. I know you all appreciate it, too. It's sort of hard to fit them in this little booth here, let me tell you, but uh, I appreciate them anyway. So that's it with Views on View for the week. Thanks for to Drew for coming all the way from Milan, Italy. And we will talk to you next time on Views on View. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.